man. Um, so we're continuing our This Is My Story series, and um, I'm a little short on time. I usually am on Family Sunday because of communion and all that, but that's okay. We're going to go through this. I'm going to start out this message with homework for you. What? Homework for you, okay? I want you to read this week. I want you to read Nehemiah chapters 1 through 6. It won't take long at all. Okay, it's not going to take very long, but that's actually what we're covering this morning. I'm going to give a quick little re- Reader's Digest of, of what the beginning of Nehemiah is about, and then I'm going to kind of break out a few things that you need to know about. Now, we've been talking about the fact that your life is a story. Okay? Your life is his story, and your story is not over. Okay? And, and we've heard from many different people in the church. We've, we've done a couple character studies of Bible characters, and that's what we're doing this morning. And so we're going to talk about Nehemiah. We're going to talk about Nehemiah. Now, really quick, just a little historical context, context because I think most of you probably um, don't know a whole lot about Nehemiah. Okay, So um, Nehemiah is one of the books of the Bible, okay? It's after Ezra. As a matter of fact, Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book in the Bible. Later on, it was separated into two, okay? But um, it's, it's covering, both books are covering the restoration period after Jerusalem had been completely destroyed by Babylonia, okay? So the people, uh, the city was destroyed and the people were exiled. That means they were not living in their city. They'd spread out all over different areas. They were put in service, Okay, you may remember Daniel. Daniel was a youth, in, in uh, a, a Jewish youth who was exiled, and he went and uh, in, in, actually was in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace, right? So the Babylonians were not like kinds of people that they conquered, all right? They didn't allow them to practice their faith or anything like that, and it was a really, really bad time in Jewish history, okay? But then Persia conquered Babylonia, Okay, and Persia said, hey, we'll be in charge now, okay? And Persia was much more open to their conquered people practicing their faith. And this was good for the Jews. And so what began to happen is the Jews began to rebuild their city and, and were allowed to go back to their city uh, and, and, to, and to live their lives there. And so there are actually three waves of the exile coming to an end. The first one... There's a guy named Zerubbabel, which please do not name your kid Zerubbabel. He will be made fun of, okay? And um, Zerubbabel, his job was to rebuild the temple because what's the point of going to the city of Jerusalem if the temple went in there, right? I mean, that was the hub. That was the purpose of the, of the city. And so Zerubbabel, it was a long, drawn-out process. Uh, and then uh, Ezra came along and brought a, a chunk of people back to live in Jerusalem. And then we come to Nehemiah. Nehemiah's job, okay, was to rebuild the wall around uh, the wall around Jerusalem. Um, so he is the third wave in the return and rebuilding of um, Jerusalem. So I'm going to give you a quick. We're going to check in with Scripture, but I'm going to give you a quick little. Um, uh, again, synopsis of the first six chapters of Nehemiah. I'm just going to tell you the story. Nehemiah was actually the cupbearer for Artaxerxes, which was at the time the king of Persia. Okay, now, what is a cupbearer, you might ask? The cupbearer was the guy who had the awesome job of tasting the king's wine before he drank it in case it was poisoned. Uh, is there an opening for a gardener <laughs> or something? 
And, but it was actually considered a great honor, okay? And it was a really cushy job. You got to drink a lot of wine, right? It was a really cushy job until one of the king's enemies tried to poison him, and then, you know, game over. But, uh, and, it's, it, and you can actually read in the text, there, there's actually a really good relationship between Nehemiah and Artaxerxes, and you'll see why I say that in just a minute. Um, and so uh, what happens is Nehemiah's brother comes to visit, and, and Nehemiah's like, hey, man, how's the homeland? How's Jerusalem? I know they're rebuilding. They've rebuilt the temple, and people are going back. How's it going? All right, and we're going to pick up. It's, it's uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And he said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. And he continues on. It absolutely breaks Nehemiah's heart. Now, here's why. Back then, they weren't nearly as civilized as we are, yes, we are civilized, okay? And if a city didn't have a wall around it, then, then area um, bandits, um, area other countries, they just say, well, hey, we're going to take what they have, okay? And so with no wall, with no gates, people could just come in and just ransack the place. And so even though it was a great deal, the temple had been rebuilt and people were moving back to Jerusalem, it was chaotic because you never knew who was going to be in there trying to steal and kill and destroy, okay? And so, uh, Nehemiah, he first prays, and I have up there, pray, plan, and persist. You're going to see that as, as what Nehemiah did. So, Nehemiah prays. This breaks his heart. Now, as we continue in this story, I want you to think about what breaks your heart. I want you to think about what God is doing in your life, what's breaking your heart, because most likely what's breaking your heart is what you are called to fix. It's what you are called to fix. So I encourage you, let's look at this from the perspective of, Lord, what are you doing in my life? So he fasts and prays for four days, and then he gets up the nerve to ask the king if he can leave and go fix the wall. This was a really big deal. Again, Nehemiah was in a subservient position. He wasn't really supposed to speak until spoken to. He wasn't even supposed to act sad in the presence of the king. And the king notices that he's sad. And he could have killed him on the spot. Instead, he's like, what's wrong? Tells him the story. He goes, can I go back and build the wall for my people? Amazingly, the king not just says yes. He gives him a letter of approval. He gives him um, tons of supplies to fix the wall. So the king of Persia paid for Jerusalem's wall, okay? And he sends with him armed guards to go all the way back to Jerusalem and, uh, and, and, and instates him as governor of the area. So he has the authority to do what he's supposed to do. Wow. Look, some of you think that you're in your secular job and I'm not a minister and I'm not, you know, this, I'm not in ministry like I want to be. Neither was Nehemiah, but he was the only one. He was positioned so that he could do what God had called him to do. Okay. Don't ever think that secular employment is not ministry. It is ministry because you're there and you're a minister. Okay. And so Nehemiah um, goes back. He scopes things out at night and he devises a plan. Again, he prays and he plans. Sometimes people think that these like don't work together. Well, we'll just pray about it, brother. That's great. You need to pray about it, but you need to plan too. Some people are like, okay, we're going to come up with a plan. Okay, have you prayed? <laughs> 
See, the two work together. So Nehemiah devises a plan on how to fix the wall. He begins to, uh, he begins to rally the troops uh, and begins to really cast a vision for people um, to, to help him with this. And we'll pick up chapter 2, verse 16. It says, The city officials didn't know that I'd been out there scoping out the wall or what I was doing, for I hadn't said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me, about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Oh, that's awesome. End of story, right? No. Not only did Nehemiah have to pray and plan, but he had to persist. This is not going to be an easy task, okay? He had to persist. Because verse 19, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Now, these guys, okay, Sam Ballant, he's the worst one. He's, he's going to show up in a little bit later. So, by and Geshem, these are rulers from area lands, and they've been ransacking Jerusalem. So, it's in their best interest to keep Jerusalem open, right, so that they can come and take whatever they want and fight and whatever and continue to terrorize. So, they find out that Nehemiah is going to rebuild the wall, and they're like, what? What? You're not going to be able to do this. And they give them a really hard time, Okay. I love Nehemiah's response. This is verse 20. It says, The God of heaven will help us succeed, and we as servants will start rebuilding this wall. I love this. But you have no share, no legal right, or no historical claim in Jerusalem. Whoa. In other words, shut up and leave. You have no rights. Sometimes the enemy comes against us, you guys, and he wants to convince us that he gets to have a say. He does not get to have a say in your life unless you let him have a say. And you're going to have to talk back to him. You're going to hear the thoughts. You're unworthy. You can't do anything. Those people don't really love you. If they really knew what you were like, they wouldn't accept you. You're going to have to talk about and talk back and tell Satan, you have no share, no legal right, and no historic claim in my life anymore. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, and what he tells me to do, I do, and you can leave. <laughs> you can go, right? And so we see he begins to persist. Chapter 4, well, chapter 3 um, just kind of details the project, okay? That's going to be a difficult one to get through. I give you permission to skim chapter 3, okay? Chapter 4, <laughs> chapter 4, um, I'm a skimmer, I apologize. Chapter 4, Sanballat and Tobiah threaten to attack. So they're beginning to build, and they're doing a really good job. Nehemiah mobilizes like dozens of different construction crews all at the same time. All right, His, The way that he does this is really just amazing. Um, and uh, Sanballat and Tobiah threaten to attack. So the workers continue to build, but they also plan for attack. Now, again, what's your... Big thing that God's calling you to do. What's your purpose? Look, you're going to have to build and you're also going to have to protect at the same time. Let's pick up. This is chapter 4 of Nehemiah, verse 15. 
It says, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans, so, so they, they were going to attack, and then word got out they are going to attack. So, again, when the enemies heard that we knew of their plans, that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half of my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. That's the, you know, the chain you know, thing that you wear. Um, the, it's the uh, early version of the bulletproof vest. <laughs> okay. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah. Oh, if you want to be in Christian leadership, that means you're behind the people, not in front of them, just for the record. That means you're a servant. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. Um, So the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. And the trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. They were ready for battle. They didn't stop doing work. But all the workers had a sword at their side. What's our sword? The word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Bible is sharper than a two-edged sword. Okay? The word of God. Look, go to the food pantry and serve. We have need of that right now. Uh, go go and, and do di- come serve at CR. Come serve in all the different things. You know, Project Backyard, we partner with them a lot. Go do things, but don't forget your sword. It's not just about the work that you're doing. It's about the work and the spiritual warfare that you're doing. Amen? We'll skip down to verse 21. He says, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. And half the men were always on guard. I was told everyone living, I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way... They and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. That sounds like a lot of work. During this time, none of us, not I, the governor, the guy in charge, big dog, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor my guards who were with me ever even took off our clothes. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty stinky. I don't, I don't recommend that for you, okay? We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we, went, when we went for water. Look, you never let your guard down. When God has called you to do a great thing, you never let your guard down. You never let your guard down. You, you, you're always aware. You're always aware of the purpose behind what you... Even when you go get water, that, that speaks of rest. That speaks... Look, I, like, I, I go to movies. I like movies, right? I like chilling out. We're going to go to the beach soon. I like the beach. That's cool. But a mistake, as you guys travel to the beach, as you go to the mountains, as you do whatever you're going to do this summer, or you have a staycation at home and, and binge on Law & Order, I know you people. I know what you do. When you do that... Don't forget your sword. You don't take a vacation from God, right? It's so tempting. Oh, here I am away from everything, right? You've got to persist. You've got to persist in what God is calling you to do. Chapter 5, Nehemiah um, deals with the economy that's going on. There's, there's people are, are, are struggling financially, and he convinces, this is amazing, Nehemiah was an amazing guy, he convinces the rich people who were loaning stuff to the poor people, he convinces them to quit charging interest, and not only quit charging interest when people borrow from them, but to actually repay back interest that they had charged. Isn't that amazing? Uh, And then uh, uh, he details his personal sacrifice you know, during the paper, during this period as well. So it, it's it's so that's chapter five. Chapter six. Now this is where I want to fin, spend the rest of our time. Okay, chapter six. At this point, in chapter six, the wall itself is finished. 
Okay, it's been an amazing undertaking. Um, it, there's been problems al- along the way. Um, there was, it started with a prayer. It, it, it came with a plan, and then it, it, he's just persisting. He's going through all this. All right, but remember these guys, Sam Ballot, Tobiah. Right, you remember these guys? Well, they begin to freak out. Okay, they begin to freak out. Everything is finished, but the gates are not up. So there's no more vulnerability in the wall, but the main gates haven't been up. They've been burned up, and they're still building the gates and trying to install them at this point. And so this is what happens, Nehemiah uh, chapter 6. Sam, Balak, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I'd finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be three things, three disses, you'll see what I mean in a second, three disses that the enemies of Nehemiah bring against him. And I want you, as we, as we go over these, I want you to see it's the same, your enemy brings these same disses against you, okay, when you're trying to do the work of God. And the first one, there are three ways that Nehemiah's enemies try to disrupt him, and the first one is to distract him. To distract him. So, verse 2. So, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Okay, now the plain of Ono is about 25, 30 miles north of Jerusalem. So, it's going to be a day's walk. Okay, you can't just, can't just walk over there one day, have lunch, and walk back. It, 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 it would take a day's travel to get there, a day's travel to get back. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So, I replied by sending this message to them. This is so good. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why would I stop working to come and meet with you? How many times do distractions try to get us away from the great work that God has called us to do? And how many times do we give in to those distractions? We need to learn to say, I am doing a great thing. TV, I am doing a great thing. Right? Sometimes we have to tell family members, family members, look, I'm doing a great thing. Now, you don't ignore your family. At the, at the, your family is your first ministry, okay? You don't ignore your family at the expense of ministry. But you've got to be able to say, I'm doing a great thing. You've got to be able to, to determine what's truly from God and what's not. So, so I replied to them, I'm engaged in a great work. I'm doing a great thing, and I can't come. Why would I stop? Verse 4, check this out. Four times they sent the same message. <laughs> Four times. Now, I don't know, but I, I tend to be a people pleaser sometimes, and y'all know what I'm talking. Some of you are like, "Who cares?" Four times, whatever, burn that thing up, whatever. For me, about the second or the third letter, I'd be like, "Oh God, maybe, maybe I should go. I feel bad." Is there anyone else like that? Yeah, I feel a little bad. I mean, there was sitting these these poor Aaron boys, these messenger boys. You know, God, maybe I should come. But I love Nehemiah's resolve. Each time I gave the same reply. Look, we've got to, look, you are called to do a great work. This church is called to do a great work. But one of the tactics of the enemy, one of the disses is to distract us. One of the disses is to distract us. You can't do important things when you're distracted by insignificant things. You can't do both. God is calling us to action, not distraction. Winston Churchill, who was, I don't know if you've ever read anything by him. He was the prime minister for England uh, during one of the world wars. And, and he was hilarious. He was very mean as well. So I don't condone everything that he did. <laughs> but he has a great quote. 
He says, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. You will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Distraction. Distraction, right? Look, it's so important that we feed on our focus. That our focus, that we're not distracted from what God has called us to do. Multiple focuses gives you a headache. Anyone wear contacts? You ever had one contact in and one contact out? Headache. Why multiple focuses? Your brain can't handle it. You can't handle it. We've got to have one focus, and that's on what the will of God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. The next dis is actually found um, uh, beginning in verse 5, and that is to discourage. Discourage. So the fifth time, so they send a fifth letter, but this time Samballot's servant came with an open letter in his hand. Okay, now, just explain some of the, the, the cultural stuff. An open letter means anyone can read it. Okay, if, you're, if dignitaries are sending each other a letter, they're going to seal it with their seal. It's a sign of honor and respect. An open letter is like, you don't, you don't deserve my seal. And hey, courier, feel free to share this with anyone along your way. Okay, so this is a, this is a major um, disrespect here thing. So, um, so open letter, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations. You ever had, ever, people are saying, right? Like one person might have said it, and now all of a sudden people are saying, right? People are saying, and Geshem tells me it's true. No, Geshem was already named as one of the bad guys, right? So, of course, Geshem says it's true. He wants to raid and pillage Jerusalem, Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that's why you're building the wall. Rebel against Artaxerxes of Persia who let him do this. And that's why you're building the wall according to his reports. I, you know, I'm not saying this. But according to what they're saying, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've been appointed, that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Oh, haters gonna hate, right? <laughs> he goes, Nehemiah replied, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. Verse nine, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Oh, I love that. The enemy's going to want to discourage you. Have you ever had someone in your life, you walk on water, and they start talking about you that you can't swim? You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter what you do, there's something that you didn't do right. And the enemy, and they could be, I mean, God loves that person, but the enemy is using their unfiltered mouth to try to discourage you. All right? Listen. Listen, whenever you set out to do a good work, there are going to be people that disagree with you. As a matter of fact, if there aren't people that disagree with you, you're probably not doing a great work. You're probably not doing enough. If you're not doing enough to get the attention of the haters, then you're not doing enough. Okay? Just just think about this for a second. The areas of life where you find yourself most likely to feel discouragement are probably the areas of your life where you were created to excel. The areas where you feel the most discouragement are the areas where you were created to excel. Why? Because your enemy is attacking you because he knows how dangerous you are in that area. 
He wants your strength to become your weakness. And we see this. Many times our biggest weaknesses are are shades of our strength. In other words, if you have a heart of compassion and love, the enemy's probably going to hit you up with lust. There is a demonic substitute for the passions and the gifts of God in your life. If you have, a, if, if you have the ability to, to speak well, you hear, not, not just public speaking, I mean like to, to like a prophetic voice. You love declaring what's right and wrong, right? Then the enemy, what's he going to do? He's going to give you a harsh tongue. He's going to make you so mean that no one listens to you. So he attacks you actually in your area of strength. He finds a weakness, yes, but in your area of strength. He tries to exploit your strengths against you. So if you are discouraged in a certain area of your life, look, do what Nehemiah did. He says, I continue to work with even greater determination. Even greater. Oh, you're going you're gonna to frustrate me? You, you're going to try to discourage me, Satan? Okay, guess what? Well, who do I know that's not saved? I'm calling him right now. I'm going to bless him. Come on. Don't let discouragement get you down. Look, I know about this. Pastors are some of the most discouraged people on the face of the planet. It's our own fault. We put too much expectation on ourselves. And I, thankfully, Tiffany, friends, I, I, I don't struggle. With that. So I'm not saying this to make you feel sorry for me, okay? I, I don't want your pity. I, I love what I do, okay? I am totally happy. But if you know a pastor, you should pray for him on Monday morning. Because Monday mornings is when they're going over their sermon thinking, oh, I meant to say that and I didn't say that. Oh, I stumbled over my words. I said, um, too much. Oh, I just, oh, what, why does God, oh, I'm so, I'm telling you. And it's the same with all of you guys. Discour- we need to encourage one another. We have a discourager out there. We do. And we need to encourage each other. I've got to go. I'm running late. Last one. The enemy wants to discredit. He wants to discredit. And so, so after this, he continues his work. Verse 10, later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, grandson of Mehedabel, these names, who was confined to his home. Okay, so this is probably a friend. Everyone wants to see Nehemiah. He's not seen him. He goes to see this guy, probably a friend. Okay? He says, let us meet together inside the temple of God. And, oh, wait. Yeah. Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied... Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? I won't do it. And I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat, those rascals, had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. If the enemy can't get you to stop working, he's going to try to discredit you. Now, what's the big deal about Nehemiah going in the temple? Two reasons. One, Nehemiah wasn't a Levite. All right? The Levites were, were, the, were the priests that could be inside the temple and perform the priestly duties. Okay? Now, there was a common area, okay? but he knew, if I go in the temple, well, Nehemiah thinks that he's a, a Levite now, right? They're going to come at it. So it was actually sinful. It was the wrong thing to do. Okay? The other thing is this. Nehemiah, as a cupbearer in Persia, was probably a eunuch, okay? It was common practice that, that and I, don't make me explain that. Don't look it up on the web either, okay? Just, just go with me. They weren't allowed, they, they weren't allowed to, to be inside the temple. A eunuch was not allowed to be inside the temple. That's why I say as a man in my position, well, I can't go in the temple. Why do you want me to sin? Because they wanted to discredit him. Look, God will never tell you to violate something in his word. 
you're doing a great work. The enemy comes against you. He wants to discredit you. And all of a sudden, you start falling into, you know, uh, an emotional affair with a coworker. Or you start saying, man, I'm stressed out. I just, you know, I, usually I only have, you know, one beer or whatever. But now, I'm, you know, you can't get to sleep until you're drinking yourself to sleep. And then you start hiding because you're ashamed. Because what if people found out? Look, if the enemy can't kill your competence, he'll assassinate your character. And he'll do it by tempting you so that he might discredit you. He wants, Satan wants to entrap you and disqualify you from ministry. If he, can't, if he can't discourage you, right? If he can't do any of those things, he will try to discredit you. The Apostle Paul knew this. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Look, I'm not perfect, right? Please tell me you know that. I'm not perfect. Don't want to be perfect. If you think I'm perfect, you're wrong. Okay? I, I, I don't believe in the pastoral pedestal. The difference between you and me is I'm called the pastor. Okay? That's it. I put my jeans on one leg at a time, unless I'm, like, really feeling lucky. I've tried to. It, it just didn't end well. We'll just say that. Okay? I don't embrace the pastoral pedestal. I know pastors do all over the place because it makes them feel good. Look, look, I'm just a dude. And just like Paul, I have to watch myself just like you have to watch yourself. Okay? The enemy is going to try to discredit us. You have to buffet your body. You have to be aware of your weaknesses. You have to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give in to this. I've got to continue. Here's, here's, the great, here's the great news. He withstands all this, the distraction, the discouraging, the discrediting. And then finally, completion. Chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. 52 days. I'm going to explain to you how amazing that is. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. <laughs> frightened and humiliated. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this wall, and we're done. This is the end, okay? This was an amazing feat. 52 days to repair a wall that was two and a half miles long, eight feet thick, and an average of 40 feet high. Just think about that. The ceiling is, uh, I think, 16, 20 feet in 52 days, less than two months. They've been building Zacadoos for like a year now. <laughs> you know, the, the, new, the place right there? And they were working hard. Look, here's the deal. I believe, I believe there's some things that God is wanting VFC to build. Now, I'm just going to share this with you. You'll be hearing more about this later. I believe that there's some physical structures. I, I, I think it's time for us to begin to build a sanctuary. And I'm talking with our, our leaders, and we're saying, okay, what does this look like? How, you know, how does this work? Uh, we have two services. Um, we've hit 400 in attendance on a Sunday morning twice now. By the 80% rule, that means we need 480 chairs. Okay, so a 500-seat sanctuary would just now cover now without any room for growth. This is going back to one service if we did this. Okay, so I'm excited. I know the Lord is 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 moving. He's 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 saying, okay, God, it's time. It's time. I don't know what that looks like yet. We're praying about it. Please pray about that. But not just physical structures. I know that there are, there are there is a reputation we have to build. We're supposed to build a reputation. This is supposed to be a real church, guys. A genuine, authentic place where anyone can come. 
a place that's not just a, a, a tradition and a religious thing where we all check in, check out, go do whatever. A real place. We're supposed to have a reputation for loving others regardless of where they've come from, what they look like. We're supposed to have a reputation for operating in the power of God. That's who God's calling us to be. Where people, and we have that. People know they come here. I hear it all the time. Well, I, I was told to call you because when y'all pray, stuff happens. Like, I hear that all the time. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But we've, we, we, the, the enemy wants to discredit that. He wants to discourage us. He wants to distract us. We have to stay, we have to stay uh, true to our call. What is God asking you to build? Because believe me, he's not just leaving you alone and telling you to do nothing. He doesn't do that. He loves you too much for that. He's, put, he's deposited too much good stuff in you to do that. What is God asking you to build? My final question is this. Are you willing to surrender your story? We told Nehemiah's story this morning. Part of doing what God's called you to do, building what God's called you to build, is to surrender your story to him, past, present, and future. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.